Great. So our theme today is the priority of unity. And uh, we want to just sense as part of that continually reproducing the life of Jesus. What are, what are the priorities that Jesus would have for our lives? What does it really mean to seek first God's kingdom? And so we're going to include um, in this series some of those great priorities that Jesus gives, where Jesus says the first and great command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your whole being. And then the urgency of the great commission to be able to First, this gospel must be preached to all nations, then the end will come. What are those priorities that Jesus gives? But among those priorities, not just what we do, but the way we do it, and particularly how we do it in unity. And so we're going to focus this morning on what that unity really means. And my prayer is that by the end of this morning, we really sense God stirring by his spirit. And see, scripture promises that it is good and it's pleasant when we live together in unity, because that's where God commands a blessing. So we want to sense, even as we take the subject of unity today, there'll be a real sense of God commanding blessing, that we want a real chance of ministry today where there's a real openness in our lives as to what it is to be sharing as part of the body of Christ in a fresh way, fresh insights and understanding. So that's our goal. And we're going to start with, uh, for Jesus, in reproducing his life, a key part of that was prayer. And so this is where Jesus prays for unity. In fact, it's a remarkable prayer. So we're reading from John chapter um, 17 and beginning from verse 20. This is Jesus saying, you know, often in scripture it says, and Jesus prayed and it describes us. But this time, Jesus himself is saying, this is my prayer. This is my prayer. And it's a very significant prayer. It's a remarkable prayer and quite unique in scripture in the way it holds together. Because he says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's for the disciples who he's been praying for, his followers. But Jesus actually says, I'm going to pray now for those future generations, those who believe through the message they bring. So in this special way, here we have recorded in the Bible, Jesus' prayer for you and for me today. He actually prayed for us, for those future generations. And it's remarkable how it unfolds. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them Maybe one. Now, of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, this is Jesus himself. This is my prayer, Father. He's about to be leaving his side, about to go to the cross. You think of all the things he could have prayed for. He could have prayed that we might, these followers, they might be honest, they might be faithful, they might be loving, they might be caring. But the one thing he prays for is that they may be one. A sense of unity, which was Jesus' priority of unity. And this is how he unfolds that. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, we pray now that you would come by your spirit. Come, come Holy Spirit, spirit of unity. Stir something in our hearts today, something fresh. It's not just a general talk about unity, but what it is for us, each one, be part of that. In answer to your prayer, Lord, that we may sense how we are, in a fresh way, maybe fresh insights as to what it means to be part of the body of Christ to share in that unity, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's very much my prayer for today, that for all of us, 
as we talk about unity, we sense God commanding something of his blessing here today, something of response to that. So Jesus makes this prayer before the cross, and it's because of the cross, through his sacrifice, he makes it possible to be forgiven, to know that new life in Jesus, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, to be one in him. So we see the immediate answer to Jesus' prayer with Pentecost. So one of the things he says about Pentecost is, on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and like tongues of fire and the wind blowing. And, but it says this in Acts 4, that all the believers were of one heart and one mind. So here's, this is what Jesus just prayed. Father, I'm praying that when I go and I send to the Father and the promise, I'm just praying they may be one. And almost if this was the immediate identity of that new church, the New Testament church, was that they were one in heart and one in spirit. They shared everything. They shared their lives together. They belonged together. The Bible often uses this picture of the body of Christ and what it means to be a part of that body. We want to unfold that a little bit today, what it means to be part of the body of Christ locally, here together, here as church. What does it mean to be one body, one in Christ Jesus? But also, what does it mean across the city where there are many churches? What does it mean for us as church to be one, to be the church in the city? What does it mean across the world for us to be part of that wider vision of the body of Christ? So there's a lot to cover. Let's launch in. So firstly, what it means for us to be the body of Christ. As local church, we're not just a kind of association of members. All of us are built in as part of a body, just like a hand or a foot, or a finger, or a toe. They're all intrinsically linked together. There's a shared feeling. If one suffers, they all suffer. If you step on my toe, I don't, my eye doesn't wink at my toe and say, oh, tough toe, I bet that hurt, as if you didn't feel anything. It all feels it. It's part of a body which is linked together with an, a nervous system, and, and the eye, and the ear, it all feels together. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one rejoices, they all rejoice. What does it mean, then, for us? particularly in a world at the moment, in a society post-pandemic, where there's been so much dislocation, the challenge of loneliness, of mental health, and all the issues that come with it, of where we don't feel part of belonging. What does it mean to really feel part of the body of Jesus, the body of Christ? Every one of us as members, to feel we have a part to play. The importance of every member. In fact, for us, it's a, a key principle of church life, what we call every member ministry. Every one of us is not only part of the body of Christ, but an active part. God has given us gifts and skills and experience that make us distinctive. We might just be the big toe, we might be the little finger, but all of us have an important part to play. What does that mean? What does it look like? The sense we're here to serve one another, to share together. One of the key things often I feel in church life is how to cultivate for us as church, I mean, a key fact for us as Woodies, how do we cultivate a sense in which we all are members belonging and actively sharing? So one of the things I'm often saying is that we need to be very careful. Over the years, what happens is church gets professionalized. We have, if we're not careful, kind of staff and lay people or, or ministers and lay people. And, and, and people feel, well, surely we pay somebody to do the welcoming. We pay somebody to, uh, to be doing the pastoral care. We pay somebody to be able to do No, 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 no. That's the very opposite. If we were doing that, we would be undermining the very principle of New Testament life. New Testament life is every one of us is part of that caring. Everyone is part of that evangelism. Every one of us is part of that. Staff are purely there to help facilitate that. I'm committed strongly to what I call bivocational ministry. Where do we encourage people who, who, who may also be carrying significant roles and responsibilities in their work and yet are able to serve God in the kingdom? How do we also encourage a, a culture where using our gifts is not just if I can play a guitar or if I can speak publicly, 
whatever skill, whatever gift you've got, actually God has given you those skills and gifts and he wants them to be used for his kingdom. How do we cultivate that? So that lovely testimony today here with Rupert, I can still remember that newcomers. This is just a newcomer to church, right? A newcomer. Not somebody who's been here for 50 years, it were, or you know, somebody who's a newcomer to church, and yet from the beginning to sense, sometimes what happens when we to church is we can give people rotors. Could you sign up for this or sign up? I don't want to do that. It's not that I got jobs for you to do. I want to sense what's your gifts, what's your skills, what's your experience? How can we release that? What dreams have you had that you gave up on years ago, but God could release those dreams? So for Rupert, I can still remember him saying, we talked together, and you know, he was thinking, well, see, most people think, well, Rob, I'm, I'm not a doctor or a dentist or a nurse. You know, how could I serve God? Well, tell me, Rupert, what do you do? Well, I have my own business. It's, it, it, it's about business management and helping to do a course for that. And you know, I remember looking at Rupert and saying, Rupert, that's just what we want. And kind of looking at me with almost disbelief. With, what, in church? Or use business? Yeah, yeah. Every one of us, whatever your skill and gift is, God. So I remember saying, to, you know, we just started this ministry, which is linked with 61, called Mentor Me, where prisoners, we, we want to set up little teams of mentors for every prisoner leaving prisons in the Bristol region. And we do it not even before they leave prison. We want to sense how could we equip them so that when they come out, they can find housing for them, but also work for them. And in prison, often the ways we trained them was, you know, being a plumber or a bricklayer. But some folk are quite bright sparks. They're in prison because they use their nose to defraud everybody of what they had. And, you know, how could we use that skill? How could we draw that out in a, a creative way? And I can still remember Rupert. And it was lovely to sense that willingness, that openness, not to just dismiss it. Oh, no, God. No. What, you mean God could use me? Yeah. I'm saying to you this morning, I may not know every detail. I may not know every job you're doing. I can say for every one of you here as a follower of Jesus, God has a purpose for your life. He's given you skills, gifts, not just the more obvious public things that you see here. Well, I, I can't sing very well. No, 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 no. Whatever that skill is, whatever your, whatever your life experience has been, God's, even some of the bad is, God can use it. The challenge is whether you're willing and available. Here am I, Lord. Send me. And the body of Christ is effective when every member feels that. That's when church really thrives. It's not when you've got a particularly gifted speaker or a particularly gifted worship leader. It really thrives when every member is feeling, oh, I'm part of a body and I belong and I matter. How do we encourage that? Not just locally in church life here. It's part of our, our core values. But what about together in the city? Where there are many different churches. How do we work together? to be the body of Christ in the city. And the real challenges that brings at times, what does it mean, as those words in Psalm 133 says, look, when you live together in unity, God will command the blessing. What we have found over these recent years is a remarkable way for this city, which God has done it, in a remarkable way. There's a measure of unity in this city that has never known its history. The whole history of churches, were, but a sense of which churches of all different shapes and shades more and more have been working together and sensing that we are the body of Christ together. In fact, there's lots of ways we do it, but even with regard to the whole challenges sometimes of uh, uh, how we do it denomination, if you like. You know, we've got lots of different denominations, and what 
marks a denomination oftenly is some distinctive feature in its practices. They didn't always necessarily choose their name. The Methodists, first of all, Oxford, they didn't call themselves, it's just everybody's very methodical, and before they called them Methodists, or the Baptists, they dip people in water, they, you know, they, they, they become titles, but those distinctives become often separating factors, almost our differences, as it were, in practice. How do we draw together, sense a shared life and vision of God's kingdom? So one of the things we've done here uh, at Woody's is, or recent years, is we, we do it, uh, not every year, in fact, every other year we tend to do it, and pandemic has been a challenge, but we'll bring together all the senior leaders of the churches in the city and the senior leaders in the city, the mayor and other chief of police or some of those other folk, etc. together. Now, we're limited on the numbers. We have it in the upper room. We do it almost on purpose in an upper room, just like that day of Pentecost, they were gathered in the upper room. We limit it to 120 people. That's 10 tables of 12. We have this really cordon bleu meal. In fact, Julian Harvey, who's our favorite chef here, does this amazing meal with maitres and matrices that serve it all. It's a special occasion. All these leaders, we gather them together, and we share vision. We share a vision of what we can be doing together. So even recently, just now, we've just had the noise. The noise is an example in the city of churches from all different denominations working together in reaching their communities. If you're not knowing the noise, that was 700 volunteers from all around the city, from all different churches, but working in their own communities, demonstrating God's love in practical ways. And then we share vision for the coming year, things we're involved in, etc. And, and then we'll pray together around our tables and we worship together. But then we do something that's very special and very unusual. In that context, we will break bread together. And to break bread together, when you've got the leaders of all those major denominations with very different practices, we've got the leader, senior leader of the Salvation Army for the whole of the southwest of England, we have the Catholic Bishop uh, of Clifton, we'll have the, 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 the Anglican Bishop here, we'll have the leader of the Baptist Church and uh, of the Methodists and the URC and all the other kind of churches. We, we have what we call eight presidents. Those eight presidents are the senior leaders of the church. That's the, the Anglican bishop, the Roman Catholic bishop, etc., etc., etc. And I sit as one of those presidents representing um, all the renewed church situations around, around, around the city, as it were. And, um, but when we break bread together, there's something very special about that. Can you imagine a room of 120 people? We worship it together, all those different denominations, and then we break bread together. Now, how do you do it, Rob? Because there'll be very different practices. So we call it an agape feast, which gives it a bit more of a looser sort of sense. And as we have that agape feast, and I, I, I sit my Pam next to the Catholic bishop and others just to be able to make sure they can handle it, as it were. But we, we break bread together and worship with a oneness of spirit, a unity of spirit. And do you know what it does? It's there that God commands a blessing. It releases something for the city. So over the years, we have seen God prophetically speaking into the life of the city, not just to any one church or one city, but into the whole life of the city. So many years ago, we felt God speak a prophetic word that Bristol would become a city of refuge, just like in Scripture. There were three cities of refuge on each side of the, the Jordan, as it were. They were the places that folk ran to for justice when the lynch mob was after them, etc. We said that this city is going to become increasingly a city of refuge, a city of sanctuary. It took us many years to eventually got the whole cabinet and the city council to agree to it, and there's a plaque in City Hall. It's up there now, Bristol City of Sanctuary. So over the years, it's meant we've been able to be significantly involved, even nationally for the central government, recognized Bristol as being a city of sanctuary. It was the first one with the Vietnamese boat people to receive those boat people, etc. It became a city. So now with the Ukrainians, it's been amazing to see. We've got some of them here today. So, in fact, when the Ukrainian crisis broke, we brought together those church leaders in the cathedral on a Sunday to pray together for that situation. We even had the Orthodox priest linked with Ukraine here um, in, in that prayer time, praying together, praying together, all those different church situations. 
and then to sense how God wanted us to be involved. So it's been great to see an amazing work. 300 families look through in the city now from Ukraine. It's been great to see Mel and the Love Bristol folk on the Polish border facilitating some of those. I was with a family yesterday, just arrived this week, and it was the folk from the team there who helped them get their visa, etc. They were so grateful. And again, we have our friends here today. To be able to sense how do we, what does it mean together as churches to be a city of refuge, as a city? Yesterday, I mean, there's so many things happened yesterday. Not we welcomed those Ukrainians that were just arriving. We also, in the afternoon, we welcomed the Hong Kong. So we had on College Green hundreds of Hong Kong refugees, um, literally here in the city. And again, it's been amazing to see that work. So as, as church, for us as Woodlands Church, we've been keen to give a lead in that. So as well as the South Bristol Prant called Southside, we also have a North Bristol Prant, which is particularly with community church in Woodlands there. And that's on the airfield, the Filton Airfield. And uh, so we help facilitate the first, the first of those houses. That'll be a huge, when it's built, it'll be bigger than any of our normal communities. We have the most likely, um, as I say, 25, 30,000 people will be there with that housing. So the first of those houses, we were keen. We negotiated with the folk who bought the field, etc., and were able to negotiate. We'd get that first house, and then we'd help set up a, a community network, a WhatsApp for those first people. Moved, first dozen people moved in, we did a WhatsApp. It was locked down, so you had to just meet in the garden, etc. Then we did a wider one. And many of the Hong Kong folk were coming, bought houses there to be in a group together. And so we began a, a, a language class with them, etc., and it really grew. So today, at Community Church in Southmead, Woodlands Community Church, there will be 50 Hong Kongers, 50. In fact, what happens is we've been really keen to see how they integrate. So they've been very keen not to do a separate church. They just want to hire the bill. They want to be, so they all worship together, even some with language, but they worship together. Then they wanted their children to go into the children's groups as we had them, because it would be the same as what would happen at in school for them. In school, they'd be sat in with their children, so they won't. But then we took the adults out, a whole group of them, to a special room we had, and we did, in their own language, the message for them. And we've now lined up for a, a Chinese pastor who will help pastor them, in fact, and we'll move into that development, the Brabism development, month after next. Likewise, the challenge with the Syrian refugees and the Afghan refugees. How can we be that city of refuge? How can we be that city of hope? What does it mean to be reaching out to a world around us? in the city. And the challenge I say is both at a city level but also on that wider world scene. At a city level, just a few months ago we had a situation where and this see in Acts it says those amazing things they were one heart, all the believers were of one heart and one mind. They shared everything they had. What does that mean for us today? A few months ago here in the city we had one of our black church leaders sharing they were desperate for a church building. We were meeting, been meeting, praying together, etc. And uh, uh, and they got a church building. We're about to buy it, but it fell through because, in fact, there was some extra cost. They just couldn't manage it. So for Woody's, it was great for us as a Woody's family, in fact, to take up a significant gift that we were able to give to them, and that significant gift made it possible for them to complete and buy that building. They're in there now. But what was really amazing for us was that sense of unity that came in it, a real sense of sharing of life together. You see, unity it deals with racial prejudice. It deals with denominational prejudice. There's something about unity, true unity, that somehow overrules all those issues of human life and prejudices. One day, heaven itself will be the ultimate picture of unity. In Revelation 7, it gives this amazing picture. I saw this great multitude that no one could count, beyond numbering. They were from every nation, but also every tribe within nations, 
every language, every people. Before the throne, they were worshipping there. As they worship God, it describes a little bit of them. It actually says, these are people who've come through tribulation and testing. Many of these people would have been martyred for their faith. Others who'd suffered and gone through such pain and anguish and at times couldn't understand it. There were so many tears. And as they're worshiping together, there's this great picture of this huge crowd from every tribe and people and nation who've gone through such times of testing. You can almost imagine tears running down their face. And then it says, and God wipes away all their tears. No more pain, no more sorrow. My reading today in, in Romans, those amazing words where it says this, the suffering of this life, no matter how painful it's been, no matter how you endured, if you're here today and you're one of those folk who suffered long and hard in life, let me say to you this, the suffering of this life cannot be compared with the glory that's yet to come. And at the heart of that glory is a oneness of the people of God surrounding that throne in worship. That's our ultimate goal. But it's possible for us to taste that here and now on earth. To feel we're part of that body of Christ. Growing together, living together, sharing our lives together. My prayer even today is that as we sense that unity, we may sense God commanding that blessing. Literally today, God's sensing today. Here I see a people united and he commands blessing. What does it mean for us to respond to that? Even as we minister this morning in our worship, we want to give an opportunity. Do you want to really feel more of a sense of being part of, belonging? Do you feel you've never had anything to offer, any gift? Do you want to sense God releasing that? Are you open? Are you willing just to say, here am I? What would it mean for someone to pray for you today and just release that sense of God's gifting and purpose for your life? One of the things we've been doing as far as across the city is concerned, too, in bringing folk together. Um, we have over the years had what we call a, a, a kind of city celebration where we bring together children regularly to pray. And we originally did them at the uh, watershed and then at the city council hall. So you may remember we used to do them down at the council house. And then when we bought Woody, we did it here on the first Sunday. But that all faded and with lockdown, it was not possible to do it. But we've just reinstated it. Last Sunday, was the f- we're doing it on third Sundays now rather than first Sundays because the Bible school is also on a third Sunday. So it gives some options where we may be a full house for that. But if, you, if you've never been to a Sunday evening... Come for one of those third Sundays. If you haven't been for a while. So it'll be the third Sunday. The next one will be the third Sunday of June. And that'll be an opportunity with other churches to worship together, to sense a vision of what God is doing in the city, to pray together, and to sense in that very context of unity, God commanding the blessing. Let's pray. Lord, come now by your spirit. Help us to understand the priority of unity. It's the answer to your prayer, Lord Jesus, that we want to be. Help us today, Lord, where sometimes maybe we've almost set ourselves apart or we've felt too easily hurt or disappointed and stepped out of things. Help us to feel afresh today or as we part of the body of Christ. Lord, stir afresh in us that release of your gifts, those seeds you sow in our hearts, Lord, we water them. Not just for us here at Woody's Law, but across this city, across our world, increasingly may we see the body of Christ, bride being prepared for the bridegroom. In Jesus' name, amen.